Welcome back to Random Serling, the podcast where a guest and I watch a randomly selected episode of either The Twilight Zone or Night Gallery, then discuss what we watched. I'm your host, Dan Worsh, and my guest this week is David J. Lore. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I uh, I am submitted for your approval, <laughs> as, oh, as the man would say. Reference acknowledged. That, that was very, <laughs> very, very nice. Um, I, I try. David, uh, uh, tell me, uh, uh, or tell the people, uh, where might they know you from out there? Uh, well, hopefully they will know me from the incomparable network, uh, where I am on entirely too many episodes of the incomparable at this point. And I also write and occasionally act on the incomparable radio theater. Indeed. Yeah. You pop up all over the place. I think I just listened to an episode <laughs> of the TV talk machine where you were pinch hitting. That's true. I am. I'm the designated, not Jason. Yeah, that was an interesting episode since there were there were, there were two designated not hosts on that one. Yeah, I think that that is the first time that has happened. Uh, I've uh, at least in, in terms of the uh, episodes that have been on the Incomparable Network, I've listened to all of them. So yes, I can say that's definitely the first time that's happened. <laughs> I mean, I, at, at this point, we just promise an incomparable person and a Hollywood Reporter critic. Yeah, hey, it works. So, you know, you, you all we did a, it. Had, had a great, uh, a great conversation. <laughs> but, uh, but while that is TV related, it is. Uh, I think uh, we're we're a little have a little tighter focus on this show. So, tell me <laughs> what uh, what's your history with the work of Rod Serling? Oh well, I I mean I grew up just ingesting this full force from uh, you know almost as far back as I can remember. Um, this and Star Trek were, were two of the pillars of the reruns I watched in childhood. And, um, I say this, I mean the Twilight Zone. Night Gallery was harder to come by, but I did finally see a lot of it in the late 80s, early 90s. And, um, it, it, it had an effect on how I write. Um, and not, it's not always noticeable, but I always think about, uh, just the craft of them. Uh, I also, uh, I'm also well aware of Rod's tendency to dictate his scripts into a dictaphone. And uh, sometimes it's all right. And sometimes it's very clear that he's dictating. And so I always try that's, that's almost always in my head when I'm, when I'm writing thinking, it's like, I can't let all of these characters sound like me, or at least sound exactly the same as one another. Because every now and then there's, there'll be a Twilight Zone where it, it literally sounds like the same person talking to him, to himself or herself over and over among like 10 people, which is bizarre. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that, that is a, a bad thing that I learned from this. Um, but yeah, it's, it's had an effect. It's, it's sort of given me an appreciation for, uh, tight plotting. Cause I mean, these are basically short stories often with a really cool twist uh, the best ones have a second twist. Um, it's, and, and it's something that I love to spoof too. I mean, we've, we've done, uh, on the radio theater, we have a, a recurring thing called the spooky twist. And, uh, the joke of that is that it's the story starts and it's clearly inspired by a recognizable twilight zone, except it then throws another separate Twilight Zone episode twist on top, and then a third one if possible. Um, so it's it's a little crazy. 
Uh, and it's, it's fun because I get to do the narration. I, I, I sort of go, okay, I'm the writer. So it's kind of, that's what the writer did, you know? Yeah, that's it was expected, right? I mean, that's, I mean, that's, 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 that's right. That's the precedent Mr. Serling set. So I was like, how can I not? And uh, I can't, I can't, I don't have it memorized now. It's been a while since we did it, but you know, it's like uh, that fork up ahead in the road. Take it. That's the spooky twist, right? It's the very staccato kind of thing. It's, it's very silly. Um, I like, I like silly. Um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, it's, he, he's had an effect on me, both good and bad. Um, and, and for things that I write seriously and sillily, <laughs> that's not a word, but I can create words fine. Sillily. I was going to say you, your, your vocabulary as evidenced on, uh, the, the incomparable game show is, <laughs> is far deeper than my own. So I'll, I'll, you could tell me it's a word and I will believe you. <laughs> well, I do have a poetic license. It's okay. It's fine. You know, professional driver on a, on a closed course. That's, that's right. Yes. Home. Yeah. Do not, do not attempt. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's appropriate that, uh, that we happen to end up with this random episode because I feel like you're the right person to talk to about it. Uh, we, we, <laughs> we drew, uh, season three, episode 17 of the twilight zone called one more pallbearer. And boy, did this feel like a one act play. Uh huh. Yeah. Complete with monologues and and and, and uh, in some cases overacting. Perhaps uh, it was as if it was a stage play. Uh, a bit, yeah, yeah. As as opposed to a more intimate <laughs> filmed entertainment, but uh, <laughs> uh, but I think it was interesting that just a minute ago you mentioned uh, people speak his characters speaking in Serling's own voice. He did. He wrote yeah. this episode, and I, I think Mister Raiden certainly. Uh, sounded off an awful lot like Rod in a, in a few <laughs> in a few cases here. Just a little bit, yeah. This this is almost certainly one of one of his uh, more dictaphone happy episodes. Um, I mean, I I can go on, but you should set it up. Yeah, I, you know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We 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 open on a uh, on an exterior of the Raiden building. It's uh we know this because there's a very tight shot of the uh of the plaque on the on the front of the building that says that. Uh although I was honestly distracted by the uh the very 60s uh concrete behind it that looked like somebody was playing a giant Connect 4 game. Yes. <laughs> But uh, but then we fade to uh, uh, to uh, a, a room and there's a there's a man entering the room that we quickly f find out is Mr. Raiden, uh, despite the fact that Apple Notes uh, makes all my notes say Mr. Radio because it <laughs> did, didn't believe me that I was That's typing me. it right. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, Mr. Raiden uh, comes into a, a room where there's a couple of uh, of, of workers uh, buttoning up a project and. Uh, I was once again distracted because he has a very ridiculous cigarette holder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, was, I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be like a near future kind of thing. And, you know, kind of the way they they used the futuristic salt shakers to become Dr. McCoy's medical instruments on Star Trek. It's like no one will recognize those are salt shakers. It did feel like, yeah, I, I wasn't sure if we were supposed to be in some slightly into the future time or not. Uh, they didn't, they didn't never really, uh, said, I don't think in this episode, but, uh, yeah. uh, but any, but, uh, 
the the workers are are buttoning up uh, uh, a pretty awesome new home theater it turns <laughs> out uh and the uh the guy with the gomer pile hat uh is uh wonders what the heck he's going to do with this awesome new sound system they've installed yeah so it uh it, he's uh, quickly talks about uh how how loud it is and how uh it sounds like bombs are going off and we get a we get a kind of a wink from uh from Mr. Raiden that well the, well that's the idea that's ex- that's exactly what uh what what it's supposed to sound like well, you know, if you if you told me if I was watching this and listening to this, if you told me there'd been a nuclear bomb gone off, I'd totally believe it. <laughs> I may be paraphrasing. It was it was pretty close <laughs> to that, and, and, and Mr. Raiden's response was something like, uh, "Well, the hydrogen bomb is not an illusion." <laughs> very, 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 very serious. But uh, and he he basically lets on to the worker that he's about to play a prank on some people, and. Uh, yeah, Mr. Pyle doesn't uh, doesn't think it's a particular uh, particularly fun prank. Yes, although uh, I don't think that stopped him from from collecting the check and uh, <laughs> uh, going on with his day. Yeah, in fact, I, he says uh, he says I think you're that that's kind of messed up. I think he says. Yeah, it it might have been interesting if he had started to. It's like here's here's an extra two hundred dollars. Go away. Shut up. Um, but there, I, I, I will stop right there. Cause there's so many little things like that where I'm just like, Oh, this could have been more interesting. Oh, you could have had more dimension. Yeah. They, uh, I mean, well, in, at this point, I mean, we know yeah, as in, as a season three episode, you know, they've, they've done plenty of episodes with, with twists and to your point, you know, multiple twists that when, when we, when they lead with this as the setup, we, that tells us kind of right out of the gate that ultimately, if they're letting us in on this joke ahead of time, there's obviously going right. to be more, uh, more to it come, coming, uh, coming up later. And, you know, I, I don't know the first time that I saw it because I was probably way younger, but watching it again for this, uh, cause this is not one that I have watched over and over again. You know, after a while, and especially having them on Netflix, you could just go, Ooh, I'll watch the good ones. And, um, this is one where as I'm watching it and I get to that point and I go, Oh, he's going to get faked out himself. So I was like, okay, where's, where's the next twist? Oh, Oh, (laughs) Oh, Rod. No. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, it it, it was, it was one of those. I think, uh, I, I think I agree. And, um, and yet here we are. The uh, it, it's uh, the, the workers leave, uh, and uh, Rod steps off the elevator to introduce and confirm that it's uh, that it is in fact Mister Raiden and the same man who owns the building that we are three hundred feet beneath the surface of, and uh, and talks all about his his bomb shelter that he's created, um, and uh, and then our three guests arrive, uh, two men and a woman. And, you know, as, as they do, they, we, we see that the, uh, the episodes titled one more pallbearer is, is the title cards on the screen. And we get these three people stepping off the elevator and I noticed they look like they could be arriving from or for a funeral. They all look like mm. they were dressed in black and, uh, and uh, don't look particularly excited to be there. But of course we, we figure out, uh, why pretty quickly is, uh, 
uh, although not before we get a very dramatic invitation into the uh, the bomb shelter, complete with spotlights on each chair that they're to sit in, and and then once they're sitting, Raiden reveals the brings the light up on himself and and comes to his feet and and I think that's when he kind of delivers his first little soliloquy of the uh, of the evening. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, my note says uh, that he certainly had a flair for the theatrical. He, uh, <laughs> he fancies himself <laughs> a director a of sorts, maybe. <laughs> well, I, I had to wonder watching this, um, if if this had been, you know, 20 years later, instead of the Connect Four, his building would be, you know, covered in gold and have his name in huge type in the over the front door. And uh, he, he reminded me very much of a certain someone... Someone who, yes, uh, remembers yeah. things, has a long memory <laughs> for things that they felt were humiliating and uh, bears grudges. And as it turns out, they were in the right and he was in the wrong each time. And uh, But but he lives in his own world. So Yes, indeed. So he, uh, we, we very quickly are walked through the, uh, the, the identities of the three individuals, the, the colonel, the reverend, and... and <laughs> And, and the it, school marm. Yes, he, he does not miss an opportunity to say school marm. It, it, uh, <laughs> I, I did catch that her name was Mrs. Langsford, but uh, but he almost never calls her that. He keeps referring mm. to her as the school marm over and over again. <laughs> it's just not a you know, Reverend and Colonel are both you know kind of official sounding titles, and uh, uh, sadly. Uh, yeah, school marm is not uh, doesn't doesn't bring with it the sort of uh, 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 <laughs> gravity that the other yeah. two titles might. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, the thing that the that all three apparently have in common is uh, is that in his past uh, they uh, they humiliated him in some way. Uh, although they all relate tales uh, one by one that tell us that he very much deserved it. Uh, right. For right. cheating on a test or disobeying a direct order in the military that resulted in apparently the deaths of other soldiers of, uh, of at least a company of men yes yes supposedly and i was a little fuzzy on what exactly went down with the reverend but the reverend specifically indicated that it involved a young lady's suicide that i i believe we're supposed to think that it was an affair with unrequited love and she committed suicide because of that and but it's it's fuzzy because it's 1962 or 61 yes that's exactly what i was gonna say was uh it, it definitely seems like it was the kind of thing where it wouldn't have been proper to go into any more detail on television yeah. at the time but they, it was certainly insinuated that there was something something romantic involved there or maybe not romantic nbc censors would say Beware the open mouth kiss. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so in in modern terms, he's got a beef with all of them. Yeah. And he intends to uh, to to air his grievances. It's a uh, it, it's apparently Festivus in the uh, in the bomb shelter. <laughs> I, I I got distracted by so many things uh, as as he went on. You know, from from one, uh, you know loudly delivered soliloquy to the next uh you know it, I, I was distracted at one point by the uh, magical floating shelves that all his uh, his beverage wear uh, were 
were on, mm. <laughs> which I think maybe was just intended to be because we're looking through presumably a concrete wall as the camera. I think it was just a, uh, a trick of, uh, of giving us a, a point of view into the room, but right. uh, it distracted right. me nonetheless. Uh, but that did not distract me nearly as much as Mr. Raiden's gigantic ascot. <laughs> as, as, as he was he was delivering an impassioned uh, uh speech at one point and and shouting down the colonel and uh mocking his commands to drive forward drive drive he says and and i couldn't take my eyes off the of the giant so 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 even there so you know we've, you've got a uh man in new york multimillionaire with his own building named for him and enormous neckwear this is getting weird this is getting weird. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he who must not be named uh, does bear, bear too many uh, too many similarities here. But uh, yeah, I'm thinking that that ascot ascot was so big. Uh, Freddie from Scooby Doo would be pretty jealous of. Uh, oh of yeah, that, it, of that it setup definitely dwarfed Freddie. <laughs> but um, but yes, uh, he he does make the point of uh, of letting them all know once again that that in this room he is in command and and he commands their attention and the little uh, the little school marm though gets uh, gets a few uh, shots in cuz she she can't uh, help she's feisty boy she is she she doesn't care uh, yeah. you know who's uh, who's in charge or or what she's going to she's going to get a few words in and she uh, mentions we we learned that he is a millionaire three times over <laughs> and uh but yet she she uh, she calls him out for being stuck on an uh, on a 20 year old incident that happened you know as a, as a as a school kid and uh and she just flat out calls him uh devious and dishonest and um and uh yeah she's just not having any of it yeah it's in in each of their things i you know it it's sort of like you can see the idea he had and it's not a bad one, but I, maybe, maybe it was the dictation. Maybe it was speed. You know, it's the 17th episode in an, in a season where they did like, you know, what, 34, 35 episodes. Um, it's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of fast writing. You don't have the same time to, to craft every plot. And I was talking to someone just last week who writes for television who said, you know, when you see an episode of even your very favorite show, and and every episode is great and this one episode is just kind of meh. and that's because we're doing the best we can we are flying by the seat of our pants even today it's like okay you know i know i know i know how that works um and you know this would have been so much more interesting if i mean the three guests are so unsympathetic and so just harsh right from the instant they start talking and and he is you know he's kind of a jerk but at the same time you feel a little bit for him because he's acting his little heart out and um it would have been so much more interesting if you know all right they have these very clear assessments of what he did in the past but if excuse me but if he had if he were able to plant a legitimate doubt and even if they could then turn it back on him but we never we never get a sense that uh that he's living in his own dream world you know he just assumes that he's been slighted 
and that they must apologize to him if if they're going to survive this fake nuclear blast that he is he's gonna put them through that that uh he he will he will scare them into apologizing to him and whoever apologizes first will be safe and uh or or you know they'll all apologize and then i'll show them they were punked and it would be much more interesting if we get them to doubt it just for a little bit just to say all right maybe i didn't give him a fair shake when this happened maybe that wasn't the case and then reveal that no no he's built this up in his own mind that he's been slighted that you know he legitimately did these things that he was punished for and uh so so that you you sort of have a little give and take you need give and take in a good story you need i mean you need conflict uh hello first couple of seasons of next generation and um <laughs> gratuitous slam hi gene um but you know you you also need that give and take you need to have that uh you know it's it's not just that it's conflict it needs to be back and forth right conflict is easy it's it's keeping it going and and giving everybody a turn in the spotlight and a turn in the hot seat that's what makes for a really good story and and this is a good idea that needed fleshing out it needed something i don't know yeah your yeah your point is well made right there, there needs to be fuel for that for that yeah. conflict to, yeah. to drive it forward and and instead here we have we have one person who is highly motivated and the other three who don't really understand why they're there in the first place don't want to be there and aren't really given any reason to get drawn into the to the argument they're they're all ready to get out of there as soon as they have an opportunity right and you know they're like open the door we're ready to go and and he's the one who every step of the way keeps trying to block them like but don't you want to survive the nuclear war don't you want to live don't you just want to give up your honor and you know and 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 each time they're just like nope nope we're good see ya we'd, we'd rather go like sit in central park with the squirrels and die you know i mean there is no uh there is nothing tying them to that place and and there is nothing to make them want to stay and and it's all just like but 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 i'm doing this thing you're supposed to be groveling and and i guess that's what's supposed to show us that he's living in his own world i don't know it's just uh. Yeah, it didn't just it just didn't tie back at the end of it. Like yeah, you know, he he uh yeah, cuz he and I thought I thought one of them was going to catch on and call him out on the fact that it was that it was a gag cuz the even when he starts he he lets them all know that hey in a minute, you know, the the bombs are going to or the the sirens are going to go off and the, and then everybody, everything up up on the surface is going to be blown up and uh and then he kind of pauses and they're all looking right at him as he reaches over in plain view and presses a button. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the emergency <laughs> broadcast comes onto the speakers. It's like, really? That that's you didn't even have like a you know something you know to secretly kind of reach down and it's <laughs> you're not trying very hard to sell this thing, but uh, nonetheless, they bought into it anyway, and it still wasn't enough to uh, to right. to hook them. I mean, it, this wasn't the only time I thought about 
Wiley Coyote during this episode. But right then, all I had in my head was Wiley Coyote. Super genius. I love the way that rolls off the tongue. Wiley Coyote. Super genius. Boom. Right. And, and in the end, when, well, we haven't gotten to the end. I won't, I shouldn't spoil the end just yet. I'm over here laughing because uh, I was playing a, a, a TV sketch party with my with my wife and daughter last weekend, and I uh, was trying to I was drawing an anvil, <laughs> and I would have thought that uh, that it wouldn't have been that hard, but uh, they were not picking up on any of the Wiley e. Coyote clues that I was that I was laying oh. out for them. <laughs> oh, oh man! But uh, but at any rate. Uh, well, what it turned out was uh, I realized, well, my, first of all, my daughter's five, so it, uh, anvil, <laughs> anvil's not really in her vocabulary. And uh turned out uh, my wife c- couldn't pull the word either, so uh, it was it was never going to happen. <laughs> oh, man. Mine, mine largely know anvils from Duckamuck, because both of the boys are crazy about Duckamuck, as am I. Du- to me, Duckamuck, th- just to go off on a tangent for a second. Go for it. Duckamuck is like the the wellspring of absurdist humor in America. The way the goon show was, you know, gave us Monty Python and Eddie Izzard and everything in Britain. Duckamuck is kind of it. It it's okay to be absurd. It's okay to be insane, and and it is it's okay to be meta. And it just oh. God, so brilliant. I could I could do a whole episode on Duckamuck. But anyway, that's where my kids know an anvil from more often than not. Yeah, I think I tried too early with my daughter to pull out some of those classic uh, uh, Looney Tunes. And uh, she just wasn't, it wasn't grabbing her attention. And so I, th- right. I think uh, now that a little bit of time has passed, I'm, I may have to go back and uh, make another attempt at it. Oh yeah. Start, start with sort of like the straightforward ones and then pull in the weird ones like, like that one. And, um, oh, oh, what's the other one? That'll come to me. Yeah. I think that was, that was the problem. I think I went and tried to do like just in order of one of the DVD collections or something. And there were just too many obscure, not very entertaining ones, uh, er early on. But uh, speaking of, <laughs> <laughs> getting back to Wiley Coyote, <laughs> the uh, yeah the the whole Raiden's whole attempt here to uh, to get everybody to grovel and ask for forgiveness, I think you know you you made me think of something a minute ago when you were talking about how basically we didn't have any reason to root for him or he didn't he didn't give us any kind right. of they told these stories one at a time and in every one of them he had some kind of response that for just like half a sentence, like one phrase made it sound like maybe he had some kind of reason why something happened. Like the, the cheating on the test story, he made an, uh, an indication that there were, you don't, you didn't understand the kind of pressure or whatever. And like that could have maybe been spun out into something that actually right might've made us feel sympathetic for him. Like maybe there was some whole other backstory of teenage him that, uh, that make him made him feel like he had no choice but to cheat on this test, but we'll never know. Right. You know, it's the, the way it is, the way it's laid out as it is, it's kind of like, you know, it's the, it's the kind of apology where you go, well, I'm sorry if you were offended, which isn't really an apology. It's, it's like, yes, well, you don't understand the pressure I was under, but that's not an excuse. 
that that's not giving me doubt you know you still did it right that's right the the, um, the big city po- apology right that's a that, that might be copyright murder right. man <laughs> but uh I, I i think he'll let us borrow it i i, I, would I, I know so. a guy he's pretty generous like that <laughs> the um so yeah, despite all his uh, his big setup and, and the big show he's planned, they don't even stick around for the end of the show. That's yeah. The, I mean, that might be the uh, uh, the funniest thing about this episode is that he's gone to all this trouble, and the moment he opens the he he thinks that opening the blast door is going to just kind of be his his way of sealing the deal with them, and of course they're going to want to stay, and he's got them. But man, the moment that door swings open. Zoom! They're on the elevator. Yeah, <laughs> hitting the door close button as he's standing in the uh, uh, in the in the door of the elevator, blocking it to your point once again. But but wait, don't you? Uh... <laughs> this is your last chance. And uh, so oh. no, they're out of there, man. They're they're uh, they're <laughs> they're gone. They're like, you know what? I don't. Get, I'm going to get incinerated up on the surface. I'm not even going to make it back to my apartment to see my family. But that's better than hanging out here with you. Yeah. And I, I can't I can't tell if we're supposed to think that they realized it was all fake or or if it really is like like the Weird Al song. One more minute. You know, <laughs> I'd, I'd rather uh, clean all the bathrooms in Grand Central Station with my tongue than spend one more minute with you. Uh, and, oh, it's a delightful song and fun to sing, but it's really, really sick. Um, and yeah, it's like, are, would they really do, did they figure it out or are they really saying, you know what? I'd rather be incinerated than spend one more minute with you. I don't know. That was my take was that, uh, that he, he was, that they were convinced they were, they, cause they were even astounded how he could possibly have known, but they right. seemed to be buying <laughs> it. Uh, but, but, uh, uh, yeah, the the last thing they wanted to do was uh, be the last ones alive with this really objectionable person. <laughs> <sighs> so yeah, so uh, so they so they leave and uh, and he goes back in alone and and then he kind of kind of goes off the deep end. Well, he he, you know, everything is on that timer. It's it's once it starts, it's going. And as he walks back in, that's when the video comes back on that we saw in the opening. Um, and, and we see the bomb go off and, uh, except he seems to have lost the last grasp of reality, uh, proving once again that he's living in his own world where he is totally ignoring everything else. And he starts destroying the speakers around the room. He's trying to get them all to shut up. And he throws a table through the television screen. And and he finally gets goes up to the the surface to find that that it is it is just devastation and rubble, and that it's all gone. He's the only one left, except. Yes. Then we're uh, we crossfade to. Oh, it's it's not the destroyed front of his building. It's <laughs> it's the perfectly normal front of his building, and the policeman, uh, the beat cop, coming up to see what. Hey, buddy, what's uh, what's going on there? And uh, uh, he, I think he thinks that there's just some drunk guy crying in the fountain. Yeah. And uh, and we see then that uh, apparently Mr. Raiden has had it. Really is a like a psychotic break of some kind, and he's uh, he's now 
thinking that he's in the world by himself, despite the fact that he's surrounded by a crowd of onlookers that the cop is telling to uh, move along. Nothing to see here. <laughs> and and it very it very much is, you know, again, Wiley Coyote walking into his own trap and hoist by his own petard. And, you know, and I'm I'm sure that's where the idea started. It's like, what if I have a guy who plans to fake people out and he goes and he and he and, and he sets it all up. But then he snaps. And when he goes upstairs, it's actually been a bomb and it actually did happen. Oh, there's your twist. But oh, wait a second. What if it's all in his head after all? Ooh, twist on a twist. I like that, Rod. I like that. You go, Rod. <laughs> that's that's what happens when you talk to yourself as a writer. Yeah, some, you need, yeah sometimes you need, you need another other guy. people to talk to. <laughs> oh, my God. Because, yeah, it, I mean, it, it, it is. It's just, you know, oh, Wiley Coyote trapped on the the rock as it springs off the cliff and yeah it turns out the bomb shelter was built by the acme corporation <laughs> no. so yeah that was uh that was something <laughs> i think the mm. uh, the question i always ask uh, david as we as we come to the end of the episode is uh whether or not if we were curating a, a short list of of serling's work if this would be an essential episode. And oh, I think, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think... Did, uh, did, did I pretty, make that obvious? I don't know. I, you know... We, we kind of gave that one away pretty early on, I think. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we kept our powder dry on that uh, on that reveal. Oh, is it is it spookily bad? Is it... I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Was, this a, was this a good bad, a bad bad, <laughs> or an episode you kind of liked? <laughs> I mean, it's... There's something there. He didn't get to it, but there's something there. Um, and I mean, I I like I like twists on twists. That's fine. This was just not a good one. Um, yeah, I think you 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 nailed it earlier with uh, with you know alluding to your 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 friend the TV writer. I mean, this is so they so this came out in January of sixty two. The show premiered in October of 59, so in two and a half years, they had written 82 episodes of television. Yeah. That's a and lot he had of written TV. an absurd number of them himself. Yeah. I mean, I think in the end, didn't he write close to half of them, something like that? Yeah, I believe, I believe that's correct. And, uh, yeah, cause, and, and a lot of them were ones where it was even the ones where he didn't fully write it. Uh, it was still his, you know, story idea to begin with. Right. And so, so yeah, it's, this is a, you know, middle of the third season, uh, maybe not, not enough gas in the tank on this one. Yeah. This, this is, this is where it's like, I've got to churn something out cause they're filming tomorrow, you know? Um, and I mean, like I said, there's interesting stuff in it. Joseph Wiseman is fascinating as Raiden. Um, I, I, you know, he does, he does what he can with it and maybe it goes a little camp, but he's, he's more interesting to watch than anyone else in the show. Yeah. He certainly, uh, you know, choose a little scenery and, uh, and, and all that. Uh, I, I did have to go look at the timing to reconcile it. It, it. So this came, this aired before Dr. No came out cause it was later in 62, but yeah. they must've, he must've already filmed it by the time they, uh. They did this, although I don't know. Maybe they didn't. Uh, lead time wasn't what it is today, and uh, uh, post production and all that. So, 
I don't know exactly when it was filmed, but there are definitely shades of, of, of Dr. No. Yeah. Oh yeah. As as he's commanding the room and, uh, <laughs> lording, uh, his, his, his knowledge over everybody and, uh, uh all that. <laughs> No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to grovel and apologize to me. <laughs> um. Oh, indeed. Yeah, not, uh, not a lot of other, uh, the, the other folks in it, not a lot of credits. I was, I, I always, I, I always take a look at, uh, IMDb and, uh, not, uh, nothing really jumped out at me other than the fact that our school marm, um, was one of the little old ladies that was one part of a couple in the documentary part of when Harry met Sally. Oh, wow. Okay. I haven't gone. That's, that's like the number one huh. thing on her uh, IMDb. She had a gap of about 15 years to, to she did that. Wow. In her late eighties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she recurred on the doctors in the early seventies. Oh, also, yes. you know, so yeah, there's, there's always a lot of those fun uh, kind of journey, uh, journeyman, journey woman, uh, you know, TV credits, for any of these people that uh, that did this, she does. She actually is on another Twilight Zone. In his oh. image, that one doesn't doesn't ring a bell for me, but uh, maybe it oh, does for you. Oh, that's that's the one where. Um, let's see. She's the is old that... woman, is what she's credited as in that one. I'm trying to remember if that's the one where Dennis Hopper is a neo-Nazi, or if that's the one where Peter Falk is basically Castro. Oh, I think that's the one with with Dennis Hopper as the Nazi who's sort of haunted by Hitler's ghost. And it's it's one of the hour long season four ones. It's really not good. Oh, it's the season four premiere. Yeah. A young man grapples with an urge to kill and confusion about his origins. But I don't see Hopper's uh, name on the uh, George Grizzard. That's right. That's right. That's the one where he turns out he's an android and he's he confronts the scientist who built him who looks exactly like him. Oh, of course. That's well, that's that, right. that the title makes sense then, doesn't it? As as you can see the um shall we say the half-assed ones all bleed together for me. Yeah, and I don't know. That's uh, <laughs> We were talking at the beginning about, you know, how much we'd seen and how many we'd seen multiple times. And I think there's a, there's a strong possibility that when I get to a season four episode at some point, I may not have seen those actually because uh, I realized that they, they weren't as in strong a rotation as as most of the others. And, uh, uh, well, and even now they're uh, harder to find streaming. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty much you need to find either... Uh, I can't even remember if they're on CBS All Access. I will go check. They're on Hulu. Uh, Hulu has the full oh, okay. catalog. Uh, okay. Season four is missing from Netflix. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they didn't feel like paying for that one. <laughs> they're not missing much. There are one or two that are okay. I think that maybe they trust their algorithm to, uh, <laughs> to yeah. let them know that uh, we yeah. spend their money. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the two-hour Columbo episodes, many of which are fine. But there is clearly filler. Columbo was just right at ninety minutes, and and this was just right at half an hour. Yeah, it's uh, and it's even this one. I I didn't find myself you know checking my watch or anything. You know, it was yeah. You know, it's it's it was for 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 its uh for its faults. It was still quickly paced and uh you know moved along toward the conclusion. However, however disappointing it might have been. 
Yeah. And I mean, I can I can see this working if you're much younger um, or if you haven't seen a lot of Twilight Zones. Um, you know, it's there. There are some just awful episodes, but all in all, the ratio is pretty decent. Um, I, you know, I'd still put this in the bottom half, but that bottom half is not really a half. It's not it's not too bad. Agreed. Well, uh, David, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, tell me, though, before we wrap it up, uh, where can uh, where can people find you out there? Ah, well, they can find me on entirely too many shows on the Incomparable Network, as I think about it. And uh, they can find me on Twitter at D-L-O-E-H-R. Uh, they can find my website, davidjlore.com, although I don't update it as much as I could or should. Uh, I'm trying to think, where else am I? Uh, occasionally on stages in theaters in places around the country, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Twitter is probably the easiest place to find me. Absolutely. And, uh, uh, you're not alone. I think we, I think, uh, these days we all have a website <laughs> that, uh, we would like to update. It's, it's the classic, uh, blog post about how you haven't been blogging as much as you'd like, right? That's, uh, that's right. That old chestnut. <laughs> that's right. I keep drafting one and I never get to finish it. <laughs> 